0: This is who we are. Welcome to the Tabletop
1: Inventing Podcast.
0: How can your team grow up to work with their childhood hero? What is the path to finding a passionate and exciting career? What are some alternatives for intelligent teens who aren't thriving in an academic environment? Listen in today for wisdom on these
1: questions from a lifelong entrepreneur. As a parent, I care about my kids' character, and I care about their innate abilities. I don't really care how good their grades are if I see growth in them, if I see excellence in them in certain areas.
0: This is the podcast where we discuss innovation, excellence, and entrepreneurship for teens and the adults who cheer for them. Today's guest is a personal development enthusiast. I won't tip my cards on the show just yet, but let me share a quote by one of my favorite physicists, Albert Einstein. All that is valuable in human society depends on the opportunity for development accorded the individual. Humans contain the most powerful innovations coming in the future. Every great product or human accomplishment began in the mind of a person. In fact, the seed of those ideas probably began in the mind of a teenager. Can parents and educators inspire teens to pursue those seeds of world change? I believe so strongly in those seeds of potential that we're starting a new project called the Resonance Innovation Fellowship where teens can find the mentoring and support to discover their full potential. We have extensive experience working with teens and helping them accomplish unbelievable results. If you know a high school student willing to push themselves, explore themselves, and grow more than anyone they know, send me an email at stevecurdy at ttinvent.com and mention RIF, Resonance Innovation Fellowship. Kevin Miller grew up as an entrepreneur. In fact, from his earliest memories, he always thought of himself as an entrepreneur. Recently, his enthusiasm for personal development led him to work with the Zig Ziglar brand. And now he's the host of The Ziegler Show, one of the top 10 most popular business podcasts in the world. Listen in today to hear the exciting and gritty details of growing up as an innovator. So my guest today is Kevin Miller. Kevin is the host of The Ziegler Show, and I have to admit that Zig Ziegler is one of my heroes, and uh, we'll have to ask Kevin the story about how he ended up the host there. Uh, He is the son of a good friend of mine, Dan Miller, and he's recently a partner on a medical uh, company venture, which I think is interesting. We may have to ask him about that. But he says that his favorite role is that of dad. He is father to seven kids and uh, he is just a man full of surprises. So Kevin, tell us a little bit about how you got onto the Ziegler show.
1: Yeah, I grew up on Ziegler. I mean, my dad even, sounds kind of funny, but uh, I mean, I I went to motivational seminars with, with Ziegler and saw him there and if I had an attitude problem, I'd had, sometimes get an attitude adjustment, which meant going and reading some ZIG materials, which you think <laughs> I was upset about. I'm uh, grateful today. That was my major education right there, some of what I'm most grateful for. but I think it was through working with my dad that I met Tom Ziegler, who's been CEO. That's Tom's son, CEO of Ziegler for a long time. And I had the privilege of being a guest on the Ziegler Success 2.0 show a couple times years ago. But honestly, it was last summer. You know, Zig died two and a half years ago, and I'm just a fan of theirs. And I had some concerns on what's going to happen with the brand. And uh, t- was talking with Tom and had some ideas, and he said, "Hey, will you just help us?" And the, so they put me, uh, hired me as a marketing consultant. And one of the first things I saw was this podcast, which had got had huge numbers, but had been dormant for about thirteen months, and yet it was still getting about one hundred and fifty thousand downloads per month. Wow! I, oh my gosh, guys, we this can I just can, let's? I'd been doing <laughs> podcasting for years, and nothing like that numbers, but I said, let's pick this up. And that's it. About a year ago, I think I think literally last November 2014, I just started doing it. And I said, instead of just playing zig clips, let's play them and then talk about them and have guests on and talk about it and really get deeper. And that's what we've done. And that thing has just Flat out gone through the roof. We're we're sold out with advertising, so we have to add shows, and it's become a big revenue generator. But then the the anomaly really is the past couple weeks. And I saw we were at like number twelve in top business podcasts in the world today, which is amazing. But the the past couple weeks we were sitting number five behind, you know, Dave Ramsey and Tim Ferriss, guys that are in their prime. And the fact that we're there with an icon that's passed away is unprecedented. I I feel like it's probably the thing that I have pushed to make happen, the very least of anything I've ever done. And it's one of the things that is succeeding better than anything I've ever done. So go figure that out.
0: Well, so does that happen a lot with, uh, with entrepreneurs that sometimes those things that you don't expect are the things that sneak up on you and do the best?
1: That's a great question. Uh, I, I have definitely seen that. I mean, sometimes we see the story, and by blood, sweat, and tears, you know, they made something happen. But no, honestly, I do see that happen. happen. Or, or yes, I should say, I see that happen. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at my, my briefcase, which is a saddleback leather briefcase given to me by Dave Munson, who owns Saddleback Leather Company. I mean, that guy was, he would just tell you he's, he was a, a hobo down in Mexico. And stumbled upon this cool bag and asked somebody where they got it. And they said, oh, down at a shop down here. And he went down there and said, hey, can you make one for me that looks like this? And then he thought, hey, people keep commenting on him. I'll put one up on eBay. And it was not smooth sailing. But that is what he has today in a multi, multi-million dollar business that he adores. And it wasn't something that he made a big plan to do. He just kind of – it was something that hit his passions and hit his skill set of design And, uh, I don't, I don't know that those are the majority of the stories at all, but it is, I, you know, even in my own journey, I think that sometimes the way that I saw it play out was not the way that it happened. And it was a different avenue that I achieved success through. Yeah.
0: So with that in mind, do you ever, as you're going through the different opportunities that come across your radar screen, do you ever look at one and say, huh, that one, that one's a real loser or wow, that one's a real winner and get it exactly backwards?
1: Oh, being in the line of work that I am in so much business development and being privy to so many initiatives, it used to give me anxiety, really, because I thought, man, I should be a part of that one and I should be a part of that one. And what if I missed the boat? And I had to come back and really look at, okay, what is my heart? What is it that I want to do that I feel is my niche and is my particular bent, uh, if you would, And I've come to, in that, be, you know, the past decade or so, be a lot more at peace with seeing different opportunities and realizing that, you know what, good or bad, I look at it and go, does that fit me or not? And so I haven't really looked at some and said, gosh, should I be involved? Is that going to be a loser deal? I guess I step back and be more at peace with where I am and if I feel like I'm a good fit, which is a big part of the story of what I'm doing today with my major initiatives. They weren't things that if you'd asked me, well, heck, if you'd asked me a year ago or a year and a half ago, I didn't really even have either of them on my radar. And here I am. But I did have the vision of the direction I should go. I just did not foresee these particular vehicles.
0: That begs a question then, you know, as an entrepreneur, is it that you're doggedly pursuing this business plan that you have written on the back of a napkin? Or is it that you have a set of principles that you adhere to rigidly or or very firmly And when something comes across, you say, oh, that fits.
1: For me, the answer is that's been that has been the pathway in that order in my own journey to where I doggedly with clenched fists held on to those sets of principles and those visions in a particular platform. And It was when I let go of that particular vehicle, that particular business model, and backed off and said, okay, I do feel confident and secure in the direction and the principles and my skills and my abilities and what I feel called to encapsulate within whatever business I do. But I'm going to back off and knock on some doors onto what vehicle it should be that I have found the most peace and success. So that's been hard for me. And I, I think that's probably indicative, you know, as, as you see, well, well, here, this has always been a soapbox, Steve, is that, you know, when people talk about, oh, so-and-so is a serial entrepreneur. Now, are there some people that are great at business and they go from business to business and they're good business builders? I would say, no, they're not serial entrepreneurs. They're good business developers and they apply themselves to different opportunities, but they stick stick with their core, uh, core idea core, you know, skill. But even with them, I generally see, yeah, they're serial entrepreneurs until they find something they really care about. And then they stop and they stick with it. I saw that with my dad. I can't say that I'm there yet. Now, again, I'm sticking, I'm doing the same thing now I was doing 20 years ago. I just didn't realize it. But when you, when you boil it down, I really am. Uh, Now it is in a couple areas of interest that I, if I had to, if I had to tell the future, if I had to make a bet, I'd say, you know what, I bet I'll be in these avenues to some aspect the rest of my life. Will it be this exact business that I'm in now? I don't know. I don't know. And I'm able to devote myself 110% and yet hold on lightly. And Steve, that, that's new for me. That's admittedly new and part of my own journey and personal and vocational maturity.
0: So tell us a little bit about kind of where you have landed then, like your set of principles and what that looks like in what you're currently doing. Maybe flesh that out a little.
1: Well, I've always been drawn to communication. I I love when I see a good message, whether that's in in the form of a product or a service or an ideal or a belief or a value. When I see that, I want to maximize it. I hate it being uh, hamstrung in any way kind of like the old Bible verse, you know, don't keep your light under a bushel. I want to shine that sucker, whether it's my thing or somebody else's thing. And I am, so my, my wife says I'm a maximizer. I love to come along and maximize things, but I do, I do that through communication. You can maximize something as you know, through, you know, financial strength or, or forecasting and projections and marketing and branding. And there's a hundred ways to make Mine's through communication, generally within marketing and, and with a branding focus. But really when I come down to it, I want to look at the business development of something and see how can we ma- maximize this. And again, I don't care if it's a product, a service, a church, a, a book, or whatever. Uh, so that's what I've always been drawn to. It's what I do best, um, but I've done it in different formats. And as you know, I, gosh, it was uh, seven years now, I think. Actually, it's been longer than that. It was through some work with my dad, Dan Miller of, of 48 Days to The Work You Love. is a book he wrote and he's got a big platform there. I was doing some work with him and Long story, but found that I, I love helping people develop an idea, specifically, uh, you know, people that were looking towards self-employment. They were in traditional jobs. And I just had a lot of personal experiences where I ended up sitting across from the table, often usually from with guys who were just numb, depressed, demoralized because they were just doing the grind. Is this all it is, you know? And I just found myself authentically kind of picking and pulling to find what did jazz them what did make them excited and i'd so often find something and, and i just was incredulous. going, well, why don't you do that because that's how i was raised that was the gift i was given i said why don't you do that and they go well i just i never thought about it. Or, or they you know point out the obstacles and i just had a knack for helping them overcome those real and perceived obstacles I turned that then into a business, Free Agent Academy, and it was focused on helping people pursue self-employment. I had some incredible success with that. It ultimately there were multiple times where I let my idealism get in front of good business wisdom. And that's an Achilles heel that sounds good in intent, but you still have to be wise with business. And I did that. And so I saw really big highs and lows, but also realized that I had gotten as much as I love personal development. That I had gotten almost totally into personal development and really out of any business development. And that's where I'm, that's what I'm really good at. And you got to have both. I don't believe in one without the other. And I definitely am heavy on personal development. But it, it was through that that ultimately I stepped back and said, you know what? I've gotten away from some of my true core abilities in business development. So I'm going to step back. I know what I'm good at, but I'm going to look at some opportunities. And that's when I, one, contacted uh, Tom Ziegler. And I wasn't really looking for anything, but I was just knocking on doors, just kind of trying to let go. That's always a point for me is to realize when I'm holding on too tightly. Let go. Knocked on the door there and then one of my best friends has a medical practice with a very different view on medicine and and health and wellness and just, I can't even say I knocked on that one, but I just saw something he was getting involved in and I just had an opinion And, and I pushed my way in with it and out of that came a big opportunity and that's where both of those arenas are where the majority of my vocational investment is in. Today. So
0: the Ziegler brand, or at least my sort of keyhole view from the outside, having listened to uh, quite a bit by Zig Ziegler, sounds like a, like a personal development brand. Is that one of the things that drew you to knock on that door?
1: Well, absolutely. I, again, I grew up around the motivational, inspirational world. So I was, as a kid, you know, other kids' dads are taking them to sporting events. My dad was taking me to see Zig Ziglar and uh, Dale Carnegie classes. And uh, you, you name the speaker, I probably saw him. And he also got us involved at some of the really big events behind the stage or behind the counter helping them sell their products. They would ask for volunteers and things, so I got to do that, which initially was really cool. But I honestly got burned a handful of times by seeing some of these bigger-than-life people behind the stage, and it was shocking to see their character, some of them. Zig, however, was always the real deal. And then when I got to go do a couple shows for Ziggler down at their headquarters, uh, the first one I got to spend an entire day with Zig. And it was after he had had a bad fall and he was getting older. And so he had some, I don't even know if I want to say it's, it was dementia, but he was he would repeat himself a lot, kind of got down to his core essence. And his core essence was absolutely beautiful. His family is beautiful and that's who runs the business. And it was an incredible experience. Uh, so yeah, I was all in at that point with being fans of theirs and it was me looking at that message and that icon and saying, I don't want that to go away. And my personal interest in that is what led to the opportunity. So now, yeah, I'm doing, you know, really with both endeavors, I'm doing things that I believe in so much and enjoy so much. I would do them for free, but I do, uh, happily accept their, their good payment as well.
0: So a friend of mine that I just spoke with this last week is a trainer for the Zigglers and has had an opportunity to spend some time with Zig Ziglar. And it's interesting because he gave the same analysis you did. So evidently, Zig Ziglar was living a very consistent life across all of his platforms, whether he was on stage or on camera, off camera. And it sounds like that's a big deal to you and sounds like it's always been a big deal to you.
1: Huge, yeah. Being authentic, and again, I was so gifted by my upbringing, and I never understood the the separation between business and personal, from a lifestyle aspect or from a persona aspect. And you know, gosh, doing what I've always done, which is a lot of being on stage in essence, whether that's you know, podcast behind a microphone or literally on a stage or videos and, and whatever, and knowing that. Not that this forced me to that, but just everybody see that My, my parents are going to see it. My wife, my kids are going to see it. How can you not be the same person across the board? I've had so much of my life where my friends, uh, the, those closest to me, we were also involved in business together. So the, the idea of separating it never made sense to me, especially when it came to vocationally where so many people go into their place of work or business and kind of turn off their heart, turn off their cares relationally and, and, and life-wise and personally, I never understood that. And I just couldn't handle it for a second. I had to be, for me, be involved in something that I'm working at for my you know sustenance, embody everything I cared about personally. Uh, otherwise, it, it just felt like life's too short and I don't have the patience. So again, that's not a right or wrong. It's just my personal perspective. But those are the people that I went after to help along in that same vein.
0: Well, that sounds awfully familiar. Uh, having spent plenty of time listening to your dad's podcast, I hear a lot of the same themes. So certainly a lot of his thinking uh, came across in the parenting. So I'm actually curious. Yeah. What's it like to grow up as the son of an entrepreneur who's out there trying to make things happen? What's that feel like?
1: Oh, the, 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 being a life of an entrepreneur, I would say I, I loved it. Um, that doesn't mean he was perfect. You know, he's still my dad. He's still a guy. I still had my issues with him, you know, but, um, I love it, Steve. It's one of the things I'm most grateful for today. I I wrote a blog two or three years ago, I think, and it was – I need to remember this because I cite it a a lot. But it was something along the lines of one of the best presents my parents gave me was – and it was like dot, 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 failure. And – Seeing my parents, you know, my mom was often in a support role, but a lot of times she was involved in the business. But to see my dad go after different business initiatives that he really was fully invested in. I mean, he was inspired by them. he They were in areas that he liked and in his skill set. I couldn't understand somebody going to work at something they didn't care about because I just never saw that. So that was a huge gift, one. And then the second gift, maybe even bigger, was seeing the highs and lows and seeing you know, one year business is great and we're literally driving Cadillacs and the next year things taint because of a bad decision or whatever. And we're driving embarrassing jalopies, which for my dad, who's a car guy, was really embarrassing. And we drove some <laughs> embarrassing stuff, man.
0: Uh, I can't imagine that, your dad in an embarrassing car, by the
1: way. I just can't. Not today, <laughs> but man, he, you know, even today and <laughs> once in a while you'd be surprised, but um, he seeing that happen, so being fully involved on the business side and then being open about the finances. And I remember start things as a kid where there was some bad stuff that happened, you know, we're upside down financially and being privy to that, but then seeing home life not erode, which is my mom's platform today, uh, creating a haven of peace. She's got a new book coming out soon around that topic. Uh, That was her that no matter what's going on, we are going to have peace and love and relationship in the home and seeing that. Gave me faith on a silver platter to go out and try stuff. I, I never failure like oh my gosh I failed at that. I mean obviously I have regrets and some stuff that I did stupid decisions, uh, you know, and some businesses that did not work out. But it was also easy to see those like okay that's not going to work. Let's go on to the next thing. And I didn't expect perfection. Out of myself, because again, the peers that I saw in the business world, they had all gone belly up. I mean, my dad was buddies with uh, Dave Ramsey from the get go. I, I, I babysat Dave Ramsey's kids after my wife and I did after his bankruptcy and at the beginning of financial peace. And so, I just expected that man. If you are going to really produce something, you are probably going to, you know, have some pretty significant failures. But that's what gets you to the big time. Uh, to put it plainly. And I just didn't expect anything different, man. I'm grateful for that. And so it's been a big part of my own journey as a father to make sure my kids are privy to the good, the bad, the strong, the weak. Um, and, and with me that, man, I'm just a guy I'm going for it, but I'm sorry that, uh, we're not going to be eating out this year, (laughs) you know, and, uh, they also, they've seen the highs and the lows where we're pinching pennies and then where we're doing very well. And I'm grateful for that. So grateful.
0: I was just thinking about that as you grew up, was there a time in all of this influence where you realized that you had to work for yourself to be an entrepreneur or did it just never occur to you not to do anything else?
1: You know, it really didn't occur to me to do anything else. But some of that was my bent as well. So yeah, one, it was, a, it was what was exemplified to me it was I never, ever knew one day of my dad working for somebody else. I never experienced it. And he's got his own authority problems that maybe he passed on to me or I came by naturally. I could <laughs> uh, I'm definitely for better and absolutely for worse. I, I tend to do my own thing. Um, And that's great for creating new things. It's hard in other areas of life and relationships, uh, for sure. I wasn't a good kid in school. Um, I didn't like the system and I balked at it. And my parents supported me in that because on the other side, I was running my own business. I was succeeding incredibly well in athletics and sports. And they saw success from me in other areas. So they didn't push that. I never contemplated it. And I actually did end up through, again, just kind of some some incredible circumstances. I had a real job for two years. It was probably the best that an employment situation could possibly be. I had carte blanche with a budget and an initiative that fit me perfect and we had great success, but two years into it and I just wanted to do more. I wanted to own more and I took off on my own. And now I think I definitely went through some times of thinking self-employment is the holy grail and I've completely done a 180. It is not. It's just a vehicle. As long as you're living out what you're made to be and and living out your own fullness and your own calling. I don't care what platform it is. I know for me, again, without a a right or wrong, but for me, better or worse, it needs to be without the confines of of employment. I need to have the autonomy to create and to have a flexible life in the way that I want. So I think I backed off of thinking that that my way is the way. I'm not there any longer. I've, I've been broken from that. But my way is the way for me.
0: So you, you briefly mentioned the word school, and I know that there are lots of parents out there who have kids who are, you know, they're really bright. They do well at school. But we also have listeners whose students or uh, kids, they're not thriving in the school. What would you say to those parents?
1: Oh, man, that's – do we have a couple hours? Uh, <laughs> that's a hard one for – I mean, not a hard one, but that's just such a big ball – of wax. I had a really poor, in all reality, a poor school experience and had some, some really significant issues with with teachers that really gave me a a poorer taste than I should have for formal education. But, you know, I was also, I'm a very, I, I do very poorly auditorily. I need to read and see. That's how I intake information. That was hard for school. And again, I'm so grateful that my parents, honored that. And so we took our kids and I said, I'm not going to have anything to do with school. And I, and I say we homeschooled, my wife did uh, homeschooled for, I don't know, 15 years or so. And now today I've got four kids in a private Christian school and one kid full-time in high school, one kid in uh, college, one kid contemplating college. And we're looking at, at just different options. We talk about it. And my biggest thing is that they go in a direction that fits them, that they care about, and they don't just you know go to school for school's sake. And uh, I would, as a parent, I care about my kids' character, and I care about their innate abilities. I don't really care how good their grades are if I see growth in them, if I see excellence in them in certain areas. I've got one you know one kid right now who he's not a great student, and he struggles in it some. He's one of my smartest kids. And so to look at that and go, well, you know what, buddy, you're going to have to do excellent in school because that's just how our system. No, man, dude, you pass. I'm going to give you I'm going to I'm going to have you excel where you do. He's he's excelling in sports. And he is a fervent learner in other avenues that he does at home, you know, on the computer. And he learns stuff that I, I, don't, I have no idea about that he's getting so smart in. I want to see them growing and progressing. As long as they're doing that and I, and I see them gaining strength and wisdom, then I'm sure I don't care if they get a 4.0 or a 2.0. I really don't. And there's some aspects of that that we participate with in school because we have to just pick the lesser of so many evils.
0: So I'm going to jump the gun on a question I normally ask because you brought it up. I'm curious on, about your perspective here. So you mentioned that your son looks stuff up online and that he kind of educates himself that way. We have so many digital tools at our fingertips now.
1: Yeah.
0: What does it mean to be educated now in this environment, in this society?
1: we obviously all have to have basic knowledge you know to survive and live and i'd like to think that that's where the school system first started out at is you know let's give kids a good rounded knowledge of all these areas but they go way beyond that of course i mean an education as you put it that way i mean to get educated is one thing but when we say what is an education we you know we say that like it's a noun and cited as an asset hey what you know did you did you get an education you've got to get an education but, I mean, its purpose of education is to enable and equip us to unique – for me, my perspective. So if you're asking me, I would say you know, to my kids, it's to enable and equip them to uniquely walk out their purpose, their unique specific purpose. So you know, an educa- if, I want to be, if I'm going to have them get an education, I want it to be in a, a specific training and teaching for a personally relevant pursuit. That's going to be different for every one of my kids. I don't have time or the need for some broad based education just to have knowledge. So, yeah, when you talk about, I mean, we have so much knowledge available. And I've tried to look this up. Someday somebody's going to lead me to it. There was some big name, you know, Benjamin Franklin, uh, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, it was somebody, and I hate that I don't know the details of the story, but somebody long ago, one of our forefathers, who was accused of being publicly accused of being stupid. And he came back and and it was based on something he didn't know. He says, why would I just try to have this knowledge stored in my head when it's at the fingertips of a book, an encyclopedia, a dictionary? If you want to know the answer to that, I'll look it up. I'm really good. I'm smart enough to look it up and find it. I don't need to lodge that in my brain. I'm going to have my brain be focused on intuition and figuring things out and, and, and strength and that nature, not just filled with knowledge that I can get anywhere. Well, man, I think we're at the height of that now. And I find myself looking to retain less and less knowledge because I just don't need to. It's on my smartphone. And I think some people look at that and think, well, gosh, that's not good. You know what? Maybe not, but it's there. I'm going to give my effort and my brain power to learning to deduct things, to be insightful, to be intuitive, to be discerning. And those things that you can't put a price on and you can't just open a book book and find those out. Those are inherent abilities within within me. That's what I want my kids to be dramatically strong in. And it's exactly what we're seeing the problem with today, where education is so focused on knowledge and then kids get into the workplace. And we have corporations right now that are reeling under that and saying, we do not have kids. And intuitive is the main word that they use. We don't have kids. They know how to follow ABC step. That's what they were trained to do. But man, if things don't go according to plan, we need people who can Figure things out. And it makes me think of – you'll appreciate this, Steve, talking about entrepreneurs, that they did a study somewhere and they they looked at guys that are in just the regular enlisted military are not generally great entrepreneurs because they just are taught to follow the rules and do exactly as you're told. However, special forces guys are statistically – they end up going into entrepreneurial uh, endeavors because they are taught to okay. Here's what we want uh, you to do, but ultimately we just want the outcome. So however the heck you do it, we just want the outcome, and that's what entrepreneurialism is.
0: <laughs> uh, it's funny you mention that because I actually know a couple of special forces guys that have started businesses. I, I don't <laughs> have any statistics on it. I just happen. To, I just happen <laughs> to know a couple. I, of I them.
1: do too. I just went to a grand opening of a new brewery down in Colorado Springs, and it's a uh, guy who just. I mean, I think he's younger than I am, but he just retired as a Green Beret, and uh, he's going after business now.
0: All right. So you opened up a can of worms that I am going to try not to open too far (laughs) because we're running a little short on time. But you mentioned something that itched something in in the back of my brain. And normally I ask the question about education from the perspective of going out, finding information and using that to make us better. But in today's environment, is it possible that a piece of education is then taking that knowledge, remixing it and sharing it back?
1: I, yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of, what is that, uh, Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. It's all vanity. And I think, you know, to some degree that sounds depressing, but there is, but my gosh, we need, we need things packaged differently, you know, as, as time, I mean, the great, I'm gosh, look at Ziggler. I mean, the great truths, do those ever change? No, but you know, even with what he delivers, we I think today we take it and we break it down in what's I mean, his great messages were, you know, some of them are decades old and they are absolutely one hundred percent true, but we need them delivered in a different way or we need to understand how those truths function in a very different economy and with different Portals like the internet and the information age. I mean, you know, again, gosh, no different than the Bible. I and mean, why do we still need people talking about it? It's still there. Can't anybody go read it? Well, yeah, but we need people to help us know how to apply it to today's life because we're no longer living in tents, walking around barefoot with long beards. I mean, it's a different world. <laughs> Principles are the same, but uh, so I think if I if I understood your question, right, yeah, I think we're we're taking these things and packaging them, speaking them even in our even in our own voice. I mean, I see people, and you think, you know, why do we? Would we ever need anyone ever again to talk about financial health because we have Dave Ramsey? Well, yeah, we needed guys before him and we need guys and girls after him who have their own voice, speak and reach people in their own way. And so in that way, I think nothing's saturated. There's always opportunity in everything. There's always opportunity in, in a different, better, more relevant or specific package. All right,
0: so I've got one last question after this, but short yes or no answer to this. Well, okay, this isn't a short yes or no answer, but I'll ask it anyway. <laughs> um, right. Have you found that you learn more by going out and finding the information and drawing it in, or by trying to repackage the information in an intelligent way and putting it back out?
1: Wow, Steve, uh, I'm thinking about that. I mean, I, I spend a lot of time you know, looking at information that speaks to me. And and in some ways you could almost, you know, I could see something, read an article, read a blog, read a book, whatever, and go, oh, that's it. But then it always comes through my own personal filter that I want to, I don't even know if it's add to, I just want to Apply in a different context, and I have found that that is so valuable. Honestly, speaking to you know Zig, I remember my dad one time wanted back when I was doing business with him, and he wanted to do a teleseminar on goals. And I thought, well, geez, why don't we just tell him to read Zig? You know, he's kind of he's kind (laughs) of done that, and yet we did it. And I realized, you know, people have a finite amount of information or influence they allow in their life, and for those who had decided that Dan Miller, in this case was one of their finite few places. They needed to hear it from him. They trusted him. And that really opened my eyes that, uh, and that's why you get somebody who has a specific platform, but once they gain people's trust, they can speak on anything. So with, you know, with that trust being so relevant, we need to take those truths and put them in our own words and, and, and from our own perspective and speak them to those who trust us because they may not have exposure to them in any other way. So I think I go out, I look at stuff, I take it in, I experience it, and I speak it in my own voice and realize how relevant that is, which again, back to the Ziggler show, you know, here I am just commenting. And to some aspect, I could say, who am I to comment on Zig's stuff? But I literally take some stuff and go, you know what? I, I see that a little differently, or I would, I would add this to it. And people really appreciate that. And I don't know that it means that they think that I have some great wisdom, but it helps them to take it maybe and think of it, embrace it there in their own sense with an openness that they don't have to take it hundred percent. Let's take it and massage it and embrace it in a way that we are able to so that we can digest it and it has relevance and takes root in us and we take action on it.
0: Well I can definitely tell that this is a whole podcast series. <laughs> so, no, always, so, so I think I think we'll come down to the last question, um, even though I'm dying to ask a, about a dozen more. Uh, and you've already touched on this in a, in a variety of ways, but maybe you could tie it up with a neat little bow here. What is the purpose of an education? With with all these experiences you shared, what do you feel like that is? What is the purpose of an education?
1: I ultimately think that that anything educationally is something that will enable. And equip us to walk out our personal calling. To walk out as as my buddy Gary Barkalo, who wrote the book, "It's Your Call," would be to walk out the desires in your heart, the God given desires. You know, not the "I have a desire to eat a pint of ice cream" desires, but the one of, man, I, I care about this. No matter what, I care about this. I care about this for people. I want to impart this to somebody, that personal calling, that personal, I'm careful with the word passion because it's got so much baggage on it these days because passion, I don't mean by what's just fun to you, but what do you have a fire burning in you for? I want an education that helps in that and in the things that matter. I mean, everybody, is there anybody that does not need education if they're going to be married and how to be married well and how to do marriage, <laughs> how to do a relationship, you know? I, I think Steve, I need you know, more of that, actually. I do, I do too, but where? But nobody, you just get married and you're just supposed to wing it and intuitively know how. Well, that's that's humanity, but it's, it's uh, forgive the word, it's retarded. It's just, it's a tragedy. <laughs> Same thing with parenting, you know, that we have a kid and that we aren't, taken through, man, we need education that with our, you know, with finances that we had, the things that we have to deal with in real life, we need wise education. But then in our personal callings, my wife right now is doing some work in child research that she is on fire about, and she's getting educated in. I have no bone in my body that, that, has a, I mean, I appreciate what she's doing, but it's not any, nothing part of my calling uh, except for, you know, my union with her and supporting of her. And same thing with mine, what I go after is so unique to me. So do I need to shore up my education and what she's doing because I'm ignorant? No, man, that's not my calling. I'm secure. in what my calling is, that's what my education should go towards. And so when people get an education or go to get educated, great, find it in the place that's most relevant for what you want, to do. And right now, one of my buddies, you know, his son is pursuing welding and this guy is highly educated, has a big paying job and his son's going after welding. And I could see people seeing that and going, well, gosh, that's a step down thinking, no, man, this kid loves it. This kid loves it. He'll probably end up being the millionaire next door with a welding company who makes a million bucks and nobody knows it, but he's going to something he cares about. And, Go get educated in welding. God love him, especially because he's making a plow for my Jeep right now. I just I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, that's that's a high level education. Going out and just uh, learning stuff to learn stuff sake or to get a piece of paper is tragic to me.
0: Well, Kevin, I think that we have about five more podcasts in us here, but we need to wrap it up. I'd cut. be
1: honest, Steve. Thank you. <laughs> I
0: love the questions. Uh, thank you. What's the best way for our audience to reach out to you if they have questions?
1: Uh, I have a page at Agent K. Miller. That's actually just a sub page of my Free Agent Academy site. But it kind of gives the places where I'm plugged in right now, like the Ziggler Show. And so Agent K. Miller and people can contact me at Kevin at AgentKMiller.com uh, if they would like to. But it gives a little bit of what I'm doing. I mean, most people are finding me today through the Ziggler Show because the, the platform has gone through the roof. But uh, but that's that's where folks can get a hold of me personally.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Kevin. This has been fun.
1: Ah, thank you, Steve. I'm honored and appreciate the, the questions and uh, love that you're living out these same principles. It's, uh, it's an honor. Thank you.
0: Did you enjoy our discussion with Kevin? He is just so fired up about helping people find meaning and purpose in their careers. And if you know an on-fire teen interested in discovering their true potential, send me an email at stevecurdy at ttinvent.com and mention RIF the Resonance Innovation Fellowship. We're planning exciting innovations for teens in 2016. And be sure to subscribe to the TTI podcast so you don't miss great upcoming episodes. Also, to find out more about inventor camps, after-school programs, training opportunities, and more for techie high school students, visit inventingzone.com. Don't worry about the future. Sign up, and we'll help you create it.